Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1441 entitled Good Guardians. Our podcast title is Podsum Mix Volume 3. Mm. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And yeah, we are going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 today, which has emerged out of a portal into the cinema. Mm-hmm. And wow, I went to the cinema to see it. Yes, me too. I went to the IMAX, so it was. I really oh. saw it. I was immersed on the big screen. <laughs> I saw it at a VMAX, so big, Pretty but good. You know, not free. Pretty good. Yeah, I saw several trailers before the feature, mm. and they all have one thing in common. Uh, they're all about multiverses and alternate timelines. Ah, uh, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I probably saw the same trailers as you. <laughs> Well, one was for the animated Sony Marvel feature Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is the sequel to 2018's endlessly impressive, visually hyperkinetic movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So they've gone into it, now they're going across it. I will say I, I see what they're doing, and I think the third film's going to be beyond the Spider-Verse, but I got confused between Homecoming, Far From Home. You know, it's 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 a little confusing, even for a very engaged audience member. So <laughs> I yeah. may misspeak the title at some point, and I apologise in advance. The plot's pretty simple. It's Spider-Man, which is to say Miles Morales, mm-hmm. is travelling across the multiverse to defeat a threat to all the Spider-People. Yep. This time including Oscar Isaac voicing Spider-Man 2099, so it's a future Spider-Man. Uh, we know him for several Marvel characters already. Yeah. So, like, he's the, he's the multifaceted Moon Knight from the TV series and Apocalypse from the X-Men movie of the same name, as well as all those other roles from X Machina, uh, X-Wing pilot Poe Dameron, Dameron in, in Disney's other sprawling sci-fi franchise, Star Wars. And he seems ubiquitous now. Annihilation, Inside Llewellyn Davis, he was in... Dune as Duke Leto, and here's another name that's popped up, Andy Samberg. Ooh, he's in that too. Oh, yeah, he was in the first one, I think. Yeah, playing Ben Riley and Scarlet Spider. Nine, nine. <laughs> but it's also the springboard for a spin-off feature, which will star the female spider folk. So I think that's a good idea too. So that looked like fun. So, okay, first multiverse tick one. Mm-hmm. And Flash, we saw the trailer for. Yes, yes, the next great Batman movie. <laughs> True. Ezra Miller's there as Barry Allen the Flash. Mm. Uh, I think he's playing multiple versions of that. Michael Shannon's returning as General Zod. Hooray. <laughs> ben Affleck's there as Batman. And no, it's also, Michael Keaton. Sorry, yes, I've ruined but, it for you. Go on. <laughs> no, no, they're both there. You see, this is the problem. So Michael Keaton is reprising his 
Tim Burton 1980s Batman movie role as the Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. Interested to see in what Keaton does with the role now after exploring the underbelly of a similar character in Birdman. Yes, great film. And being another winged villain, the vulture in the Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is all quite exciting. It is. It'll be interesting to see that movie's obviously been wrought with its own controversy, which we won't get into, but it's interesting they're still going forward with it. I think the marketing's had a bit of an overhaul, but a lot of work went into that film, and I like the director, so I'll be interested to see the final film that came out. So, yes. And it's also Ben Affleck's, I think, last turn as Batman. Yeah. It's a bit of an odd one, but it'll be interesting. It's got good reviews so far. I I suppose it's really like Batman out of the Snyderverse because, of course, we've got James Gunn now being the Kevin Feige of DC's movie. Um, Also, there's um, Sasha Kale. I want to shout out to her as Kara Zor-El, Supergirl. I think we haven't seen a lot of images, other images of her yet, and she pops up in this trailer. Also, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I didn't get that one ahead of my movie. Yes, mm. he's back. Harrison Ford is uh, he's, he's back into one of his other franchises and he's still kicking. It's set mostly, as far as I know, in 1969. And, you know, Indy is uh, not all that chuffed with the United States recruiting former Nazi scientists to assist in its space race against the Soviet Union. So, you know, that's going to be an interesting play. A little bit science fictional there, but not as mm. science fictional as Crystal Skull. Mm, mm, mm. So, you know, this is a, a Disney film. It's not written or directed by George Lucas or Steven Spielberg. Mm. James Mangold co-wrote it and directed it. He did two Wolverine films in the X-Men film franchise with The Wolverine in 2013 mm. and Logan okay. in 2017. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. I'm on board. Logan was obviously yeah. great. It was The Last of Us before we had The Last of Us on TV. Yeah. One of the ex-Nazis wants a do-over for the Third Reich and so enter the title Doohickey, The Dial of Destiny, which I don't know a lot about, but it does actually sound like it's able to access time maybe and bring about multiversal timeline branching. Gracious. I'll go out in a branch myself there and say, yeah, here's another multiverse movie yeah. in a way. <laughs> Some trend. Phoebe Waller-Bridge plays Helena Shaw, Dr. Jones's goddaughter, but also the daughter of Toby Jones. Um, again, ubiquitous. Mm. He's an old ally of Indiana Jones yep. from World War II, and he's obsessed over the Dial of Destiny. Maybe he found it with his metal detector. And also, here's another name, Mads Mikkelsen, playing the ex-Nazi scientist. Antonio Banderas is popping up in it, and there's a welcome return of John Rhys Davies playing Sulla, a character he's done before in the Indiana Jones okay. movies. So free films, yeah. basically, multiverse. Very happy what is it? to see Phoebe Waller-Bridge is going to be in that Indiana Jones movie and they've booted Shia LaBeouf, but I'll be intrigued about how it stacks up quality-wise because I didn't love Crystal Skull. I do believe we'll find out what happened to uh, Shia LaBeouf's character in oh, this one. Quicksand, well. surely. <laughs> oh, that old dog. Yeah. <laughs> There was another movie, something about cars r- driving around very fast. Uh, I had no idea what the hell it was about. It's about family, Rob. <laughs> I do know it's got Vin Diesel in it, who is, of course, the voice of... Groot. Groot, yes. All right, now, speaking of animated Marvel, Dove Cameron plays Ghost Spider, or at least the voice of that character, in the Marvel Rising series, as well as being the supervillain who cut poor Yo-Yo's arms off in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
<laughs> Dove Cameron also has more benign and vocal roles in the fantasy musical parody Schmigadoon, which has just concluded its second season. So let's hear a track from Marvel Rising, and it's called Born Ready, as <laughs> no doubt the warbling Dove Cameron has. She is such a treasure. She's a great actress, and musical comedy and musicals basically is what where she was born to be. She is so good, such a presence. Born ready from Marvel Rising. Hi, this is Scott Bakula. Welcome aboard Zero G on free Triple R FM. Dove Cameron there, born ready from Marvel Rising, the animated series where she plays Ghost Spider, at least the voice of that character. So moving from the trailers, <laughs> I just had to, because that's such a, a great bunch of genres. Yeah coming at us in basically like June and, and a little bit beyond and so on. I was like, oh, my God. So, okay, so we were all prepped from that, and we went to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yes, of course. Wow. So it's been it's been a bit of a wait for this one for a Guardians film proper. It's been six years since we saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. See, that's easy. For me, Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, I know exactly what movie is in what order in the trilogy. And this is indeed a trilogy. <laughs> With this movie um, rounding out the trilogy, uh, we've had the first film in 2014, second film in 2017, and um, this one just released like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, once again, it's directed and written by James Gunn, as were the previous two films, and this one sits in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the 32nd film, and it's part of Phase 5. But, of course, we also have to include the spectacularly funny Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special from last year. Yes. So that actually functioned as a, a sort of a, a phase four epilogue, really, when you think about it. Yeah, and this is kind of where we're at now with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that it's not just cinema, it's also on TV because um, we're getting much more incorporation between the strands that are happening, playing out on television and what's playing out in the cinema. And there are direct references to the holiday special, but you don't have to have necessarily seen the Hollywood special. Hollywood, yes. sorry. There's references to the holiday special, but you don't necessarily have to have seen the holiday special. It does actually take place in Hollywood. Though. It does. I think that's what I was thinking too much, Kevin Bacon, which isn't a spoiler anymore. You've had ages to see it. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, the Guardians have also appeared in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Still not entirely satisfied with Star-Lord getting half the universe killed in Infinity War, but, you know, well, I've moved on. He, he does reference it and he knows what he did and that it was his emotions, but I agree that was a... Uh, poor uh, monitoring of his own behaviour in that time. I, I will say that this film is far darker than the other two Guardians films, although they always had a dark edge, uh, and it actually feels to me like James Gunn is returning to his superhero roots, which is uh, the 2000 movie The Specials and also the 2010 movie Super. Mm, mm. Now, both of those movies are must-watch to yep. fully understand guns, guardians, and superhero passion. Yep. Uh, they're more sort of, you know, low-key in terms of uh, financing movies. They're not big-budget blockbusters, but you could also check out Brightburn, which yes. is the other the child movie. It's horror, though. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, you know, 
in a modern context, the Suicide Squad is all of those things as well yeah. over in the, the DC universe. And, of course, he's got that uh, television series Peacemaker as well. Again, a very dark sort of show. Uh, he's got a, a very rough sense of humour, I must say, in, in these movies. Mm. Um, but it sort of charms down a bit for the Guardians ones, I think. Anyway, there's so much about these characters to talk about. Mm. And I, I thought I might have a little bit of a, a riff upon the uh, the comic book origins of some of these characters. Yeah. And we all think, okay, you've got Guardians of Galax- the Galaxy in these movies, so there must have been a superhero squad in the comics at some stage, which indeed they have been. Mm-hmm. But all of the characters come from disparate comic books. Yeah, right. Okay. So just to quickly riff through them, Groot, I think, is probably the oldest one. Uh, He was just another giant monster in the 1960s in Tales to Astonish, created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. And he was just like basically an E.T. tree, but he was on Earth trying to capture humans for experimentation. So this is not the the I am Groot that we know and love now. No. Yeah, and he appeared at several other times in the Marvel comic book universe afterwards. Uh, eventually did go on t- into the uh, – into in 2006 he was brought back as a kind of a more heroic and noble being and then went on to appear in the Guardians of the Galaxy comic book mm-hmm. and they later formed up as a team. Yep. Star-Lord, Peter Quill. So he was created in 1976 yep. by Steve Englehart and Steve Gann, and he was in Marvel Preview Volume 4. And his story there, he's actually like the son of uh, the Galactic Emperor, you know, and so that sort of rolls into the ego character, yes. the Kurt Russell character. Yeah. It's a living planet. They they play fast and loose with it, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, these are it's a different universe. And eventually, in two thousand and eight, he this character became um, the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they like mutated the character along the way. He was much less of a goofball in as the original Star Lord. I would imagine can, the casting has had an effect on the type of character because Chris Pat was formerly really known as a comedic actor. And I think they've probably got, and I think it was a good choice because again, you're right. These are different things that the essence of the character and it can be colored this or that way, depending on. Gamora dropped in 1975 in Strange Tales 180, created by writer and artist Jim Starlin. Mm. Uh, She hasn't changed too much. She was an adopted daughter of Thanos, the last of her species, you know, so she was actually part of the Infinity Watch originally and then ended up in the Guardians of the Galaxy. So Nebula, again, another um, supervillain character, uh, pretty much an anti-hero, and, and then went on to be in the Guardians. Uh, Drax the Destroyer, a human character oh. whose family was killed by supervillain Thanos. So, so he first appeared in The Invincible Iron Man in issue number 55 in 1973. So these characters are well-established, established before I was established. <laughs> <laughs> and Mantis, again, 1973 in an, an issue of The Avengers. Steve Englehart and Don Heck created her. Mm-hmm. And when Englehart left Marvel... Uh, went to DC, he took the character with him and renamed her as Willow. (laughs) 
And then later on, when he went to Eclipse Comics, she became Lorelei. So, you know, she has perhaps the, the strangest mm. history. And originally she was, uh, I think, um, half Vietnamese and half German. Okay. Uh, and, you know, but then there's also an alien aspect that flows into that and it's very complicated and then of course she eventually became the uh, a member of the guardians of the galaxy so you know the initial roster of the guardians of the galaxy has got nothing to do with the current ones no. it, and and this was in 1969 and i actually still have these comics uh, mm-hmm. marvel superheroes volume 18 and so they were actually set in, I think, the 31st century or something like that in the Earth's solar system. Uh, It was a team set in the far future founded to liberate our solar system after the alien race, the Badoons, Mm -hmm. successfully invaded it. So so each one of them came from a different planet in our solar system. So they all had the the characteristics of that. So we had like... Like the (laughs) Yes, yes. No, exactly like the Sailor Scouts. Uh, one of them, actually, Vance Astro, was actually from a contem- our, our time, um, and it was an astronaut and ended up in the future, and he was wielding Captain America's shield, which still existed in this wow. far-flung era. Gosh. Some of these some of these characters have actually appeared in the Guardians of the Galaxy's movies. Uh, Martin X. Now, you've seen him. He's a sort of glittery, uh, crystalline character with the Ravagers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Background sort of there. And Yondu. Oh, there you go. Okay. Pretty much unchanged from that. Uh, I think others have also appeared in there. Was Michelle Yeoh one of them in the background at one stage? I think she might have been. Um, but also the th- that team no longer really exists. They're part of the Ravagers sort of thing. But it's a little nod of the, sort of the hat to them. So the actual Guardians comics, well, they came out later on as, as kind of a, a reboot and without more f- – Familiar characters of Star Lord, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Phyla Val, who you know sort of distantly from the Captain Marvel movie, okay. uh, where she was one of the um, the Kree team, uh, Gamora, Drax the Destroyer, and Adam Warlock. There you go. Yes, okay, there you go. Yeah, so it's all sort of strange there. Now, the person I've left out, because he actually is the engine of this new Guardians movie, Rocket Raccoon. Um, fictional character appeared in uh, Marvel Preview 1976. So there's a lot of 70s vibes going here, created by Bill Mantlo and Keith Giffen. And he was actually inspired by the 1968 song by the Beatles, Rocky Raccoon. <laughs> and later on went in to be the uh, the, the um, a member of the Guardians in 2008 when they relaunched the comic Wow. He came from the Keystone Quadrant, which is uh, one of those weird areas in the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. out in space. And he was captain of the starship Rack and Ruin. Mm-hmm. And his first mate was a talking walrus. Okay. All right. So. Uh, mm. Yeah, and they all came from the planet Half-World, which is uh, a strange place in the comics, very strange. Um, it's kind of a, an abandoned um, uh, mental asylum, basically, and there's a lot of um, strangeness in there where they're trying to rehabilitate and um, give strange forms of therapy to the creatures on Half World, mm-hmm. and Rocky was kind of protecting them on that planet. But, you know, obviously while Russ appears in this movie as yes. well as the character. 
So that's giving you a bit of a, a background there. And there is actually a more modern Guardians team too beyond that. So that includes Rocket, uh, Kitty Pride, uh, Thing, Ben Grimm, <laughs> um, Drax, Agent Venom, and Groot. And you know, also they also had Star-Lord and Gamora and another character called Angela, who herself has a, a multi-comic book history. Angela. So there you go, just a little yeah. history of all of the various characters in the comic book forms, all uh, translated to the cinematic and television mm. medium as well. So let's actually have that Beatles song. Oh. Rocky, Rocky Raccoon from the Beatles box set <laughs> of one of the many. And you know what? It took me 15 minutes just to find this track amongst this bloody great long list because there's so many albums. Had a lot of greatest hits they did. Yeah. I actually think that would be a great box set to have. But, you know, off we go to Rocky Raccoon by the Beatles. Hello, this is Bobcat Goldthwait, and you're listening to 3 Triple R FM Melbourne. A little honky-tonk yeah. ballad there <laughs> the Beatles' <laughs> Rocky Raccoon, which came out in 1968 on the Beatles' double album, The Beatles, also known as The White Album, mm-hmm. and basically written by Paul McCartney. And <laughs> he was kind of riffing off the name of uh, Rocky Erickson, the, um, <laughs> the American rock band vocalist, the 13th Floor Elevators, I think. And it's also riffing off um, the poem, The Shooting of Dan McGrew, mm. Robert Service. Mm. So, yeah, the inspiration for Rocket Raccoon, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, we are looking at here on Zero G today. Yes, so we've had a little bit of a backstory on the characters inside the comic history. Uh, so let's dig into talking a little bit about the film. Now, you mentioned before, Rob, that it is much darker than the previous two entries. I really would say that again to have it at home. I found it's much darker not just in tone, also themes um, and the story. And I honestly, I found parts of it extremely upsetting, (laughs) Um, which I I, I think I'm probably not alone in that one. So after a surprise attack on Nowhere, where the Guardians have been hunkering down, they call their headquarters and have been building a lovely community. And it is actually a headquarters because it's the evacuated excavated skull of a dead celestial, one of the giant space aliens that we saw in the Eternals. Yeah, so it's it's quite something to behold as well. We get to see it in its full glory at one point in the film. But uh, they're attacked at their home by a, a new character that we haven't seen yet that was due to be introduced earlier, but this is his first appearance, Adam Warlock, um, a very formidable force, um, physically, mentally, maybe not quite there yet, um, as we find out a little more about his character. But anyway, after this surprise attack in the very early scenes of the film, the Guardians have to head out to save one of their own, uh, and they come up against uh, several new characters, um, one of them in particular, uh, a fanaticist who's been playing God, um, and our golden nemesis, uh, Adam Warlock, and the weight of an extremely sad backstory for Rocket Raccoon as well. Uh, luckily, they do have some help in the form of A. Gamora, who has been riding with the Ravagers. Uh, she's along for the ride as well. And Quill, of course, is trying to get her back on side. But it does take a back seat to the main um, motivation of the film, which is to figure out a bit more about Rocket, Rocket's backstory so they can help save him. I don't think that's a spoiler. I think that's pretty clear. 
Yeah, yeah, especially in the trailer. Although, you know, the trailer lies to you in yes, several places. it does. It's definitely meant to draw you in to see the film, and that's something I would definitely recommend. I thought this was fantastic. Uh, during the course of this, these adventures, um, if we can call them that, uh, they do head to a couple of interesting environments. They head along to a headquarters for the company called Orgocorp, which is someone has had a lot of fun with that production and set design. It is this biological mass with all kinds of like globby pockets and pustules and it's it's actually quite a hilarious backdrop but um inside Orgo Corp there are some very very sad and awful things that happen and so there's a bit of juxtaposition going all throughout this movie of the levity and the comedy mixed with much much more serious uh, content. Uh, and we also end up uh, in the latter half of the movie on a planet called Counter Earth, which I won't go too much into maybe to avoid any spoilers, but um, the all of these environments and all of our adventures are centered around a quest for this new character that I mentioned before called the High Evolutionary. Um, and he's a scientist, if you can call him that, and uh, definitely one with uh, a god complex and definitely one who has no shred of uh, sympathy or empathy surrounding him. And that was a distinct choice by the filmmakers and the actor as well, that they wanted to portray this as villain in the most capital V sense. We are not meant to understand any kind of sympathy or understand his motivations whatsoever. And they succeeded. <laughs> this is the other end of a spectrum for the Hive evolutionary character, who of course does come from the comic books. Mm-hmm. And he has been played variously in the comic books as either a mad scientist or as a kind of a world-weary fellow. That's the one I remember who's just trying to save the world, basically. So they've gone full on into the mad scientist part for this, I think. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, And there is, yeah, there's definitely some disturbing scenes in this that hinge around his experiments and his uh, past interactions and his history with Rocket. And as a whole, this movie is very much interested in delving into Rocket's backstory, where he's come from, where he is today, and very much hammering home the idea of the Guardians as a found family and what they'll do for each other to save each other. The high evolutionary, they have kind of winked at his existence in uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because they actually go to Mount Wondergore, which is part of his whole thing, uh, Counter-Earth and the New Man and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's there's an element there. I, I... would actually like to unpack that character a bit more. I don't think it's too much of a – well, it might be a little bit of a spoiler, but, you know, too bad. <laughs> the thing that um, Megan and I have been dancing around, which I do think I want to give a warning to yeah. people about, um, is that there is – how do I call it? Phrase this. Notional animal cruelty in a digital form. <laughs> Yes. And that's not an Academy Award, an aspirational Academy Award category or anything, because as far as I know, maybe there's a, there's a dog in this film who may ha- actually, who has a live action uh, counterpart dog, I am, yeah, I imagine. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think, but you never, you don't, you don't know. I think she's CGI. I, I think she's fully CGI too. I should have a look into that. It could, it, it, it could be. Um, but yeah, obviously, look, no animals were hurt for real in the production of this movie. But a great deal of um, there were real dogs. She was real dogs. I can't tell the difference yeah. between real dogs and CGI, apparently. But yes, dog actors. Yeah. But there is a lot of implied suffering uh, yes. on in the background of the screen a lot because he's he's kind of 
alluded to it or, you know, but there is enough in it that I was in, in tears several times. Me too. So, you know, if that's a trigger for you, um, I can only respectfully say this may not be the movie for you. Yeah, I think that's a good disclaimer to give. Like I said before, I I was generally disturbed and upset by a lot of these scenes. I know they're CGI and I know – I mean, I think they were intentionally um, dark and they've tried to make it as realistic as something like yeah. this can be because obviously it's a bit of a fantastical science fiction context. However, they've tapped into, you know, the parts of us that don't often see that kind of animal cruelty portrayed on screen. Like we see violence against humans every day. It's so interesting how our brains adapt to seeing certain scenes. Uh, But I definitely think that if you even have an inkling from some of the promotional content that you've seen, that this might not be something for you, go with that instinct because it, it, it can be quite upsetting. And that's also hats off to the teams who did the visual effects. I think that all of that was planned and executed really, really well. And um, they've achieved their goal of making it extremely impactful and making you really identify with a CGI like space raccoon and other animals as well. This is Robin Williams, creator of the Science Show, and you're listening to Zero G on Triple R FM. Yeah, this is one of the first Marvel movies. Not the first, but, you know, okay, it's one of the ones that broke my heart while I was watching it several times. Yeah, and I think as well it's... It's got a lot to do with, and this is probably a big conversation to have about Phase 4 and the new characters being introduced across Marvel, but it's also to do with the fact we've we've got history with Rocket, we've got history with him, we've built up um, a relationship with him as a character on screen, we've seen him in many different situations, often in a comedy context, and I think that really helps as well. Although, to be fair, I felt for the new animal characters as well, who I'd never met before, So, mate, but I think something that this really shows to me is how much payoff you get from really building characters and story and engaging the audience in caring about their fate, because I think that's something they're still working on to build with some of the newer characters they've introduced lately. Um, And I think Guardians is such a great example of over the course of the three films, plus their additional experiences, you do really feel for these characters even before you know that they've had a horrific backstory. And the character arc that they show here and the depth really, really, like, hits home. I think with those characters, obviously they're voiced characters, the animals, because yeah. the sentient, I should say the sentient animals, because yep. they're, all, they're all sentient, uh, including, you know, we get Cosmo, the Soviet space yeah. dog in this, who we've seen before mm-hmm. uh, in the holiday special and uh, also in other aspects. But, um, you know, I mean, look, first off, the main cast, obviously Chris Pratt, uh, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, mm-hmm. Karen <laughs> Gillen, uh, Pom Clementif, uh, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, you know, all of the people who come back, uh, Sean Gunn as well, um, playing yeah. Craglin. You know, he's the guy who inherited Yondu's um, uh, arrow-controlling head crest. Yeah, yeah. And has been struggling with it ever since. <laughs> and that's a, a story arc in itself. Yeah. Good on them for that too. So, you know, all of these characters returning, and I thought that was they were all well done. They The chemistry between them is very interesting. Another spoiler from the holiday special, we now know that um, Star-Lord is actually Mantis's brother mm. and she his his sister yeah. through through uh ego the living planet <laughs> yes ego's antics of, <laughs> yeah in that weird way that marvel is 
I, I would like to call out, like, obviously these guys have all been fantastic from the jump, but I think in the latest iterations, I've really come to appreciate both Mantis and Drax and oh, the yeah. performances by Pom Clementif and uh, Dave Bautista. I think especially their chemistry together and that relationship and there's some beautiful scenes in this film that I think were acted so beautifully. I think Dave Bautista is so wonderful as Drax. I always thought, I've always thought that, but it comes through even more in this film and also his relationship with Mantis. And I think Pom does such a really lovely job of portraying this extremely strong character whose powers stem from empathy. And it's just such a lovely thing to see on screen where she's quite a force, but she is meant to be there to remind everyone of, because, you know, some of these characters are so messed up. Like this is a whole thing. Like, I mean, as you would be, I mean, Nebula kind of don't blame her for being surly after what she's been through. But again, we see some softness in Nebula and we just see some of these things coming out more softness. And I think that's to do with Mantis being there and being tuned into people. And I just think that's such an underplayed role in a group, the person who's like the glue and often just, you know, they're not the muscle. Um, and I just really respect but she that. Is. Well, she, and she, she is. That's true. She's she a is. great fighter. I, I'm not definitely yeah. not sidelining her, <laughs> but part of it comes from how she interacts with each of those characters and, and is support supportive of the team. And I just, they, cause they got a lot of time in the holiday special too, those few characters. And I think it's paid off even more here. And I did just want to call that out because I thought that was such a lovely part of the film. This is Rob Sherman and you're listening to Zero G. Yes, so the Drax Mantis chemistry is great and interaction. Uh, and, and yes, um, also obviously Star-Lord is still mourning the loss of the original Gamora, the the the, uh, the, the time-sliced Gamora that he knew and loved, yeah. uh, but who has been kind of replaced but not by an earlier Gamora who doesn't remember her relationship with Star-Lord yeah. because it never happened to her. Yeah. And so there's this very awkward uh, interaction between the two characters because Star-Lord is still obviously following her around a bit like a lost puppy, as Nebula says at one yeah. um, But And we're trying to negotiate that. And it can be kind of creepy in a way. Absolutely. He is a bit out of line sometimes. And I think yeah. he needs to get through his head. And I think they do a great job of showing this, that this is a different mm. Gamora. She's treading a different path. Maybe some of the things she wanted are the same, like finding a family, but you can't force this Gamora to grow towards yeah. loving you the way that previous one did. And, and I think that was such an interesting thing for them to include without it getting too much of the focus. Yeah, I thought that was really well handled in this. And also, of course, we've got um, the other characters, like Craglin has a, a thing with Cosmo the dog yeah. in terms of their, their relationship. And, and that's hilarious. There's a, there's a running gag yeah, yeah, yeah. throughout that that's a, that cracked me up every time I heard it. Uh, and it was very true. If you if you know dogs, oh, it was very, very, very true. I love those words of affirmation. Um, we also have a couple of new characters as well that I mentioned before. So we have one of the main ones, of course, is Adam Warlock. Uh, so he's played by Will Poulter. Uh, and Will Poulter we've seen before in many things, and he's a bit notorious because he's got a very striking look, to be honest. Yeah. He was in Midsommar. He was also in uh, Maze Runner, The Death Cure, and he was in um, – oh. he was also in the original Maze Runner too. Why does um, the, the word Narnia pop into my head? Is that um, uh, also relevant? Yes, he was in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Ah. Yes. Um, yeah, he's very distinct looking, and I actually think he's a really lovely actor. He played both scary, sympathetic, um, 
because you know the portrait. I don't know how Warlock is portrayed in the comics, but this character has a lot of strength, and he was he was created by the High Priestess, who we've seen before, um, played by Elizabeth Debicki. She's like this golden um, uh, thing, sovereign thing, and he. But he's just a bit. Um, he's not quite developed. Like he just hasn't been given an opportunity to grow into someone who gets it. (laughs) Um, He's just all strength and he's been used more as a weapon. So he just doesn't really understand nuances. Um, Is that, is that the character in the comic or is this something that's coming from the film? It it is quite different in part. um, And that is a fairly big controversy amongst comic book fans at the moment. But But I actually think it serves the plot quite well. And gives us a more chance to play more comic riffs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. And you and you need them in this movie. Oh my gosh, you need them. You need them. So yeah, I was pretty happy to see him pop up in this, and I think uh, he did a really good job. We also have um, our big bad uh, Chukwudi Iwuji. So he plays a high evolutionary, as we mentioned before. Bit of a Dr. Moreau, definitely falling in like a Nazi scientist kind of camp. Just absolutely absolutely foul 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 man oh sorry the character (laughs) not the man not the man um and uh hasn't actually done too much previously so he was in john wick chapter two um but this oh no don't tell me he was trying to kill John Wick's dog. I don't, oh, gosh, God, I hope not. Imagine that getting typecast. But this this appears to be one of his uh, first kind of big roles, and I he was incredible. I thought he was her- absolutely horrific. He was so good at being fanatic and just one set mind, just absolutely singular, singular vision at the – cost of you know whatever the cost convinced that he was right yep and and not a person who would brook any interference with his plans and and just stuck to them yeah 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 and i think he's actually one of the best villains we've seen in the mcu you really hate him you really this guy you just go no you, no 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 you just you get that feeling in your tummy whenever he comes on screen like the bad feeling and he just he does such a good job i fit but you can i feel like you hate the character but you also so much respect that actor for going in there and doing that performance probably because as well like let's be real probably some of the scenes he was acting with the tennis ball or like a green screen or like a lump of, of nothing, and he's um, he's done such a fantastic Good. job. I hope that they are able to elevate or <laughs> drop down Kang to that level. Yeah, we're still we're still they're still working and developing Kang. You know, we saw him in um, Quantum Mania. Yes, uh, where well, I don't think he was showed to his best aspect there, but you know, he's going to have a lot of time as they work through the character, and I hope he gets to this sort of level. I mean, you know, Thanos sort of level this. This guy, the evolutionary, he definitely is oh, there. He's yeah, he's and I think this is one of the other interesting things too, is for the first time in a movie I did in a Marvel film of late, I genuinely felt there was a point where the odds were so stacked against, you know, our heroes that I was like, How are they gonna get out of this? I genuinely feel tense and worried about this situation. And a lot of that was due as well to some great acting and some good plotting on the part of James Gunn and his script. Well, since we've been talking about 
the high evolutionary. Let's have a track that he actually likes in the film. Okay. <laughs> diabetic, diabetic music. Um, it's all diegetic. I, I was looking it yeah. up and all of the music in the film is diegetic, which I thought was so cool, which means it's played well, in scene. So it's occurring inside the scene. It's like on someone's record player or it's in someone's iPad or they're playing it like it's not an overlay score. So I thought that was cool. So the needle drops actually make sense in this. Yeah. Because, of course, they still have, like, you know, Starlord still has that whole idea of carrying around his music with him, and, and that's spread to Rocket Raccoon now. Yeah. He does this. In fact, he's often stealing Starlord's mixtapes and stuff. They're good mixtapes. <laughs> you know, Rocky's a pilferer, uh, <laughs> basically. So, okay, but there's, along with the awesome mixtape, track with various artists that inevitably accompanies a Guardians movie. There is also a regular soundtrack yes, as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's by John Murphy. And we have heard his work before, you know, as early as uh, Guy Ritchie's Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. And also 28 Days Later, there's oh. Danny Ball's zombie films. Um, you know, so there's a whole bunch of stuff kick ass, but probably – uh, most relevant is the Suicide Squad uh, yeah. mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. with James Gunn, of course, where he replaced um, Tyler Bates. So let's hear a track from that. And this is a kind of an operatic type of uh, a track. And the high evolutionary likes to listen to this as he goes around musing his horrific plans. So it's Mo Ergast Fawn, and this is by John Murphy from the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 soundtrack. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on Zero G. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know, con- accompanying such dark events. Yeah. The High, the high Evolutionaries playlist mm. there mm. from conductor and composer John Murphy from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Volume 3, original soundtrack, Mo Ergast 4, and the full version of that. The soundtrack is... Excellent and indeed awesome with its needle drops as well as its regular soundtrack there that we've heard a little bit of a sample (laughs) from. Special effects in the Guardians 3 movie are absolutely outstanding. Um, We were talking before about the production design in this, which is great for all of the different environments they inhabit. Beth Mickle was the production designer for that. There are new costumes for the Guardians and for a lot of other characters which take full marks for their being accurate to both the comic books. Those blue uniforms we see, they are are the Guardians' um, most common uniform now in the comics, uh, or before, anyway, in that period. And also the stunt choreography. There is a corridor fight in this movie that is the equal to anything that we've seen on Daredevil or any of the other big... hand-to-hand combat sections. It was fab, and it uh, came at just the time too because you need a bit of an action payoff because it's so tense at that time, and it was such a good scene. Mm. There's a spacewalking scene that's to die yeah, for, I thought. they had fun with that too. Another one of the com- lighter moments. They don't forget things like um, Star-Lord actually being a professional thief either. I thought yeah. that was great. Um, this movie revolves around Rocket Raccoon, and that is just a delight. Bradley Cooper is fine doing the voice for yeah, that. Yeah, and I, th- uh, I think it's... As well as uh, Gunny's brother doing the um, <laughs> the motion capture. It's such a great example of, like, the payoff of a character arc and seeing a backstory and then, you know, having a comedic character 
go into tragic and then back to comedic and then like, you know, revenge, redemption, that kind of thing. And I just thought it was such a good story. (laughs) And he still maintains that relationship with Groot, uh, which is, again, spot on in this. We we see Groot in a different sort of form uh, as he's grown up from a little pot plant Groot. (laughs) And, And that was so well done, you know, it's like, if you had Grogu and Groot in the same baby oh, Groot. And, the world and, oh, they couldn't no. handle it. No, they could never. It'd be too, too much, too much. So, yeah, I thought this was a, a great Guardians film. There are some awesome cameos in this, uh, which makes sense. Although it makes me wonder if there's one actor who's not going to get a become part of the Avengers <laughs> because he's playing a character in this yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, actually, Gunny's had um, – uh, dealings with uh, this actor before. I won't mention yep. him because it's just fun. Yeah. Those cameos are, are great fun. So, yeah, look, it is a dark movie. It does contain elements of, a lot of elements of notional CGI animal cruelty. Um, none of animals, of course, were harmed in the making of the production, uh, although one was told that he might have been a bad character. So she, <laughs> that's she. probably she. That's right. That's right. They do a gender swap on one of the uh, on the Cosmo doll yeah. from the comic book. As an homage um, to Laika, who was the Russian space doc who they. That's yeah. right. And that's just a whole sadness in itself. I know. This is the thing. Like, I honestly, I thought the movie was really great. I thought the action, the plotting, the tension, everything was just spot on. And like I said, I was very, like, my fists were clenched for a lot of it. It's just so upsetting in parts. I just don't know if I'd ever watch it again. Like, I don't think the rewatchability of this one is high for me because I just found parts of it so sad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's actually the filmmakers doing their job as you so yeah. aptly put it earlier on in the show today. So we've rabbited or <laughs> raccooned. <laughs> we've been r- raccoony. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we've been on about that for the whole episode today, Zero G, mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, with no other subtitles needed, and it's James Gunn's basically the main swan song yeah. to the G-O-G-O-T-G uh, universe. And although we are told that some characters will reappear, and I can see how they could easily do so with Marvel's cosmic focus at any stage. Uh, and it'll be, you know, but some of the other actors are done with it basically. Yeah. You know, I'm tired of, of getting made up for 10 hours or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, so I expect we will see echoes of these in animated series and so on. Yeah. Uh, also, there are after credit, end credit of scenes. Of course, yes. Of course, so well done as usual, yeah. uh, and and actually taken the piss quite a bit out of such things as you'd expect from James Gunn. He's he's kind of in the Deadpool league, yeah. really. <laughs> so these have been a very welcome, mostly comic, and I mean funny part of the MCU as they went along, and this one really hits its straps in all areas. I have yeah. no hesitation in giving the Guardian salute to this one. Me too. Uh, great film. All right, that's it for Zero G for today. Uh, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Thanks to our podcaster, Alice Savage. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.